You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, sisters. Happy holidays. I'm so grateful for this time to be with you this morning. I hope that you're doing well and taking care of yourself physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. You know, I'm grateful for this Soul Sisters series, um, having all the different sisters share lessons that they've been learning in their relationship with God. Um, these devotionals have really helped me to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus in this roller coaster ride of 2020. I'm grateful today, not only because we've made it this far as we're nearing the end of 2020, but because it's the season of Advent. Advent is a time of year observed by many Christians as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of Jesus' birth, as well as anticipating the return of Jesus as he promised. Advent actually starts four Sundays before Christmas, so we're right in the middle of it. And it's a magical time of the year because, honestly, it's where most of the world is open to the message of Jesus, of hope, joy, love, and peace. Honestly, I really did not even know much about Advent, as I thought it was really just, you know, something of the old, that something that the Catholic or Anglican Church practiced. But last year, I started reading this book from Anne Voskamp, and it's called The Greatest Gift, Unwrapping the Full Story of Christmas. And it's a devotional, you know, starting from December 1st. And every day there's like a short um, scripture reading and devotional focused on Jesus. I've also learned a lot from Tracy Miner, who has a great series on the spirit of Advent on her website called Simply Holy Living. So I'm excited to share with you all the things that have inspired me. And I hope that it will add to your faith as well. So before we start, please pray with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your protection. God, um, just how you loved us first. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our devotional this morning to give us exactly the hope that we need to continue in our faith, to persevere, to, to believe, God, that you are always working for our good, that you are a good father, and you're always looking for ways to bless us. You discipline us when we need it so that we can become more like your son, Jesus. So I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Thank you so much for the scriptures that are just so rich with hope and encouragement. So I pray that you would build our faith today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's dive right in. We're all familiar with the Christmas story, the nativity story, that is all about the story of Jesus' birth. But sometimes with all the hustle and bustle of the holidays um, and just hearing it year after year, sometimes it just becomes that, just a story. And it's hard to fully appreciate the incredible miracle of Jesus' birth without learning more about the history and backstory of God's incredible love for his people. So today, we are going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus 
and see how we are tied into this greatest love story. Now, you're probably asking, what does Jesus's genealogy have to do with Christmas? Well, we see God's merciful love and his patience and gracious faithfulness from the beginning in Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis 3. And before we dive into there, I do want to say how God's love story really begins in the very beginning with the creation story. How God created man in love out of his desire to have an intimate relationship with us. And um, he created Adam. And in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And it goes on and says how God saw that um, it was not good for Adam to be alone. So he created Eve, a suitable helper for him. And then in Genesis 3, we see how Satan, the serpent, comes into play to be the tempter. Um, and so what happens is um, basically Adam and Eve disobey God's command um, in the garden And in verses 14, so Genesis 3, we'll read verse 14 and 15. It says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, so... I never realized this, but this really is the first time that God reveals his love and mercy to redeem what Adam and Eve had done. You know, that the fall of Adam and Eve, God out of his mercy, instead of destroying them as they deserved, um, he promises to send a savior, one who could restore the kingdom that they had just destroyed in the Garden of Eden because of their sin. And the the last line there where it says he will crush your head, that is a prophecy of how Jesus, our Savior, would overcome death and have victory over Satan, the serpent. And the, the phrase, you will strike his heel, is a metaphor of the costly sacrifice of pain, suffering, and ultimately giving up his life, the shedding of blood that Jesus would go through to fulfill God's plan to save his people. So we see God's merciful love and his gracious gracious faithfulness from the very beginning in Genesis. And as we take a deeper dive in Jesus's family tree, we see God's faithfulness as we look in the past. So turn with me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And have you ever wondered why um, in Matthew that he starts with the genealogy of Jesus? You know, I remember when I was first um, learning about the Bible and was encouraged to read about Jesus in the Gospels, which the Gospel means good news, and it's the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible. But I remember reading, starting to read in Matthew, and I thought, 
what's going on here? And I just would kind of skim through the first 17 verses because I could barely say the names of half of them and I didn't really get how it was relevant. So I would just kind of skim through it and then start in verse 18 where it talks about the birth of Jesus. Um, But what I did not know is that back then in the days of the prophets and kings, it was your family line that really mattered, that your genealogy was a big deal, that that's what gave you your identity. It wasn't your work or your accomplishments or your title. So, you know, thinking about the genealogy of Jesus, I think, you know, as human beings, we would think, well, Jesus must have had actually a really good um family tree, you know, that he would come from righteous families that were educated and pure, highly respected, maybe even privileged. But if you look in the scriptures, that is so far from the truth. When you take a closer look at who these people were, you see imperfect people, many of whom came from shady paths or had strayed from God. But you see, that was never a problem for God because his plan was never dependent on man. It was always about God. So uh, Matthew, you know, it starts in verse two, uh, two. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So it starts off talking about Abraham, the father of faith. But we know, you know, as we look in Genesis 20, how Abraham wasn't perfect, right? He he lied. He lied twice about Sarah not being his wife because he was afraid of what the king would do to him. Let's go on to Judah. You know, Judah totally failed as a father, where two of his sons were killed by God because of their wickedness. And then later we see how he gets into this big mess with his daughter-in-law. And then there's David. David was known as a man after God's heart, that he was a noble king. Yet even David, in weakness, he committed adultery and murdered Uriah, the husband of the woman he took as his own. Now, you know, for some of you, you know, maybe you feel like, man, I'm totally blowing it in my marriage or my my parenting. You know, I need help. Well, you're in good company because David, for David, parenting was not a strength as his sons and grandsons had turned away from God. King Solomon was King David's son who ruled for 40 years. He seemed to be a good king as he asked God for wisdom to lead and his reign was known for peace for most of the time. He's best known as the one who started building the temple in Jerusalem for God. Unfortunately, All the material wealth that he acquired had led to eventual moral compromise. He disobeyed God's commands not to marry foreign women. In fact, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and eventually ended up turning away from God. And what's incredible to me is that despite all the ways that man could mess up things, God's plan with the sins of adultery and affairs, uh, messed up kings, dysfunctional families, deceit, broken promises, no matter how hopeless the situation looked, nothing could derail God's plan because God remains faithful. 
He is all powerful and all faithful. And what's even more amazing to me is that back then, women were invisible in the family tree, that they would not be even considered worthy of mention in the genealogy of families back then. Yet for God, these women had names and stories and lives that mattered. In verse 3, the first woman mentioned is Tamar. Now, Tamar is probably someone who you actually would not want to include in your family tree, um, seeing what she had done at first glance. But her appearance in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew just proves God's compassionate heart and how God does not judge just from outward appearance. She was whittled twice. She was left alone with no children. Her father-in-law, Judah, as I mentioned before, failed to take care of her as was required by the law. And some say that Judah had kept his youngest son from marrying her um, as if she was the wicked one because she had married his two older sons and they had been killed by God because of their wickedness. But it was really Judah's sons that were the disobedient ones. So you can look in Genesis 38, but it gets crazy. I mean, you start reading and you're like, what is happening? Tamar basically dresses up as a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law Judah to sleep with her. I know you're thinking, what are you reading, Grace? What a mess. That just sounds scandalous. Well, that's what I love about the Bible. It, it talks about the heart of man, that we're all a mess. It deals with real people's lives. And yet, God's love and God's mercy break through all of that. And I really believe that Tamar here, um, this is an example of God's graciousness, how compassionate he is towards her, who probably, Tamar, she probably felt forgotten, used up, even depressed, you know, being made to stay in her, she was locked up in her father's home. Um, so Tamar and Judah end up having twin boys named Perez and Zerah. And ironically, it's out of Perez's line that both King David and then later Jesus were born. Again, this is a testament to God's amazing grace that even the most flawed, sinful men and women can be used and blessed by God not because of their goodness, but because of his mercy and the power of repentance. Now, the next woman uh, mentioned in this genealogy in verse 5 is Rahab. Now, Rahab was a Gentile, did not grow up learning about God. She was a prostitute found in a godless place with a godless past. Yet, in one moment, she believes in God and risk it all to save the Israelite spies. And you can read about this in Joshua chapter 2. What's incredible is this woman Rahab, who would be dismissed and marginalized by all, all people in her society back then, yet she is listed in the Hall of Faith with great other great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 31. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
What a courageous example of stepping out in faith and because of her faith that she was able to save her family. She goes on to marry Salmon, an Israelite. She becomes the mother-in-law to Ruth and becomes a great-grandmother of King David. Isn't that incredible? Now we're going to go on to Ruth, um, who is mentioned in Matthew uh, verse 5 as well, that Ruth was a wife of Boaz, a mother of Obed. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. You know, this was incredible because Ruth never grew up hearing about God. But she was in a desperate situation, you know, facing the challenges of being in a famine. And she had just heard about the stories of God and grabbed on to the faith of Naomi. God saw Ruth's faithfulness and loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi, despite all of her painful losses, losing her husband, losing her children. She was in deep grief, and yet she still was loyal and faithful, and God rewarded her greatly. Incredible. Um, Really quickly, in verse 6, it mentions Uriah's wife. She's not named, but we know that this is Bathsheba, that she was even a part of Jesus's lineage. And then, of course, most significantly, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 26 through 28, it's written that the angel approached Mary and told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When she heard how she was chosen to give birth to Jesus, Mary responded saying, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What humble faith of Mary, you know, just to humbly receive what God wanted to give her, to be surrendered to what God had called her to. And I think about that and You know, it does. It takes humility to just receive, to be still and accept God's love. And some of us can be too prideful to do that, that we're so busy, myself included, you know, that we can be busy striving and trying to be perfect and, you know, trying to earn our salvation instead of being still and just relaxing in God's arms. So, You know, this family tree, it's so inspiring to me now that I'm learning about this. It's opened my eyes to see how significant it is that these five women are included in this family tree. And um, in this book, The Greatest Gift, Voskamp writes, These were broken women who felt like outsiders, like has-beens, women who were weary of being taken advantage of, of being unnoticed and uncherished and unappreciated. Women who didn't fit in, who didn't know how to keep going, what to believe, where to go. Women who had thought about giving up. And Jesus claims exactly these who are wandering and wondering and wounded and worn out. He takes them as his. You know, the world 
had considered these women as outcasts or had marginalized them. But God says these women have value. In fact, they were an integral, important part of bringing the Messiah into this world. Sisters, I hope that gives you courage and encouragement that in the same way God has grafted you and me into his family tree, into his legacy and lineage to continue sharing the good news about Jesus, not by our deeds or anything that we could deserve, but totally out of God's gracious love and mercy for us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have Jesus as your big brother. Remember what an incredible spiritual family that you are a part of. What will be your spiritual legacy? You know, what you are doing now matters for your future marriage, for your future family, for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Do you realize how easily you could have missed becoming a disciple? How different your life would be if you did not have a relationship with God? You know, this season of Advent is a great time to slow down and to remember, to consider. And I've been thinking about how my life would be so different had it not been for Jesus. How I would have self-destructed myself, my own life, um, if God had not saved me from my own selfishness, my own pride, um, caring so much about what other people think that I would, I was living a double life of deceit and impurity. Um, I was so controlled by insecurities and fear. Um, I was malicious when I got hurt and would just hold on to bitterness. And I can still struggle with that. But I'm so grateful that God has given me a way out and has forgiven me of that and um, teaching me how to repent. Um, I know without God, no way would I be celebrating 25 years of marriage to an incredible man of God like Reese, who is passionate about God, who is so patient with me, who shows me God's grace every day, who is a fun and loving father to our beautiful children. And I'm so humbled by that, that I am truly blessed and I'm so grateful. And that motivates me to persevere. That motivates me to keep going and really wanting to imitate living a life of love the way that Jesus did. If you are not a a disciple and you're just visiting with us, I encourage you to check out our Bible study series called First Principles that is designed to help build your faith and a closer relationship with God. You can learn what it means to follow Jesus and how to become a Christian so you too can be pulled into God's love story, into his heart, his righteousness. I hope that you will all pause to remember how passionate God is in his love for you, how he has pursued you from the very beginning and will never stop loving you no matter what happens, that you are precious to him, that you are adored by him. And so I think, you know, as we consider and can see from the scriptures, God's faithfulness in the past, that that can give us greater trust in God's faithfulness for the future. 
Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And I want to close with reading Matthew 1, verse 18 through 23. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sisters, as we look back at what God did in bringing Jesus to us in love, I want to remind you of that. Emmanuel that God is with us through Jesus. That, you know, maybe you can relate to feeling discouraged, you know, by uh, disappointments or broken dreams this past year, hurt by broken promises. Um, perhaps you're facing just stress and anxiety um, with finances, you know, with challenges in health. Um tired, you know, from all of the striving and trying um, to adjust to the craziness of this year. There's a lot that's happened. But I want to remind you of God's promise that has been fulfilled, Emmanuel, that God is with you. God is with us. And he's always with us. It's just a matter of us reminding ourselves and remembering that God is with us. That God fulfilled his promise of Jesus, you know, of bringing Jesus in all his light and love to break through the darkness and evil of this world. That no matter what, I mean, you think about generations upon generations. It says um, uh, in verse 17 and 18, talks about how there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. Uh, another 14 from David to the exile of Babylon. Another 14 from the exile to Christ. Through all those, like over almost 500 years, and no matter the sin, no matter the hardship, God's love can break through any of any obstacle. Um, and I pray that reading and being reminded of Jesus' birth in the Bible, including Jesus' family tree, I hope that that will give you hope today. That no matter what you are going through, that you can have hope of new things that God will be doing, new beginnings. Hope for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hope that with God, nothing is impossible. So thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. Thank you for listening, sisters. Please stay safe. I pray that you would rest 
in Jesus this season, and I pray that you have a very Merry Christmas. Take care. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.